Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. We are so excited to launch this new series, Moses Unscripted. But before we get to that, let me just uh, say a huge uh, hello and welcome to everybody who's watching us online. I know some of you are on March break and you're enjoying the weather. And if you're in a slightly warmer climate than we are, we may have issues with you, but Jesus still loves you. That's okay. Uh, how many just loved, absolutely loved getting an hour less sleep last night? Wasn't that great? And then to make the day even better, to go outside and, and warm up your car, and it was minus 20 degrees Celsius, I said, Lord, it's going to be a good day. <laughs> All right. We are so glad that you're here, that you made it out this Sunday morning, and we are really excited, like I said, about this series. And I thought it would be good to give you a bit of background, even for the title itself. We're calling it Moses Unscripted. And it can be a, mi- a little misleading if you don't understand why we called it that. Because usually when something's unscripted, like you think of an actor who goes in front of a camera, if he's unscripted, then he's just kind of flying by the seat of his pants. He's kind of making up things as he's going along. What do you call that? There's a comedic term. Improv, right? Well, this isn't an improv sermon. It's not an improv message. We don't mean that we don't know what we're doing. We'll just kind of show up and see what happens. No, no, no. This way. Just like an actor receives a script when he goes to an audition or to do a movie, sometimes Hollywood gives us a script of how we look at Moses, of how we look at Jesus. Remember Jesus, the guy with blonde hair, blue eyes, and a British accent in every movie? That's the script we get. And Moses is always young, and he's handsome, and he's confident, and he never makes mistakes. Yeah, that's not the guy. So what we're going to do is we want to look at the unscripted life of Moses. We kind of, even where the Bible doesn't say things because it implies it by knowing the culture. So we want to, we want to get to the man behind the legend, the man who became the great Moses. But who was he really? And then how does that help us as Christians, as believers, as people living in the Mississauga area in the year 2017? How can we take lessons from this guy's life who lived thousands and thousands of years ago, and how do we apply it to, to our life? So we're going to be talking about that over the next several weeks. And so today we're talking about who was Moses. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I, I believe that God's timing is perfect. Anybody else believe that? Now, it doesn't always line up with my time. I'll be honest with you, okay? But his timing is always, always perfect. Well, today they said, Joe, we'd like you to speak and launch the series on Moses. I said, okay, great. And what we're doing is we're talking about a nation. We're talking about a people called the Israelites. They were known as Hebrews. Today we call them the Jewish people. But back then they were known as the Hebrews. And so the Hebrews are facing genocide in the land of Egypt under the king, under Pharaoh at that time. Because Pharaoh... He listens to his advisors, and he begins to get worried that these Hebrews, that they allow to come into their country, 
And some guy a long time ago decided to give them the best real estate in the land. So the locals can't live there, but these foreigners, these refugees, they get the best piece of land. Hey, what's up with that? And so the, the, the Jewish people, these Hebrews, they're facing annihilation, they're facing genocide, a planned mass extinction. Now, if you know anything about history, that's happened more than once. In fact, today is a very special day for Jewish people on the, all around the world. It's called Purim. Has anybody heard of that holiday before, Purim? Just a few of us. Most of us don't understand what happened on this day thousands of years ago. In a foreign empire called the Persian Empire, there was a man named Haman who despised and hated the Jewish people. He did not want them being in his land. They worshipped an unknown god, a foreign god to him, and he didn't want them there. So he came up with a plan, and he drew himself a calendar, and he literally, he cast lots. That's what Purim means. He cast lots. And whatever day the dice would fall on, that was the day of genocide. They were going to kill every single Jew living in Persia at the time. Well, Mordecai, a godly man, got wind of this, and he told his niece um, Esther. Queen Esther, you guys have heard of her? She hears about this plot, so she fasts for three nights and three days. Didn't we celebrate International Women's Day this week? Okay, here's a woman worthy of a title. This woman went before the king without permission, which meant instant death. If you marched into the courtroom, you would be mowed down. But she prays and she fasts for three nights and for three days and goes before the king with fear and trembling, who was her husband, and said, my master. And she began to tell him the story. And the king's heart was moved. And Haman, the man who was ready to commit genocide on that certain day, Instead of all the Jews being killed, it was him himself, Haman, who died on the gallows that he had planned for God's people. And on this very day, here we are, thousands of years later, we're talking about a genocide that was planned against the Hebrew people, even back then. So to me, God's timing is always, always perfect. So we're going to start in in the book of Exodus, because that's where the story of Moses picks up. And when you get to the book of Exodus... The people are in danger of being eliminated from the earth. But just like a chapter before, at the end of Genesis, life is good. Things are great for the Hebrews. They have the best land. They got the best jobs. Things are going well. What in the world happened between Genesis 50 and Exodus 2? Wouldn't you like to know? You know, if only we had someone on the ground that we could go back to thousands of years ago and in exactly four minutes and 36 seconds tell us what happened. Shalom and bokor tov. Salam. Salbah el khair. How you say it in this foreign land? Ah, uh, yes. Hello and good morning. Welcome to Egypt, the greatest and most prosperous land in all of the world. Okay, why is there a white bucket in the middle of my palace? Seriously. It's so hard to get good help these days. Anyways, let me introduce myself. My name is Joseph, and I am one of the 12 sons of Jacob. In fact, I was father's favorite. All the other brothers, they got plain old boring brown clothes, but not me. Look at this beautiful, colorful coat, just like me. Let's just say it didn't make growing up easy. In fact, one time I had a dream. I looked up, I saw the sun, the moon, and the stars, and they were bowing down to me. And so I shared this 
wonderful dream with my family, and they were not happy to say the least. They said, you think that one day we're going to bow down to you? Like I said, it didn't make it so easy growing up with my brothers this way. In fact, one day I went out to see them in the fields and they saw me coming and they said, let us kill our brother. We are tired of him being dad's favorite. And so they planned to kill me and throw me into a ditch and then take part of my coat and dip it in blood and show it to father so he would believe that I was attacked by wild animals. And then my one brother said, no, let's not kill our brother. That's too mean. Let us just almost beat him to death and then throw him in a ditch and leave him there naked. Oh, thank you very much. It's nice of you. And then another brother said, no, 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 look, there's a caravan coming. Let's sell him as a slave and then he'll be out of our hair. And that was their solution to get rid of me. Next thing you know, I'm in Egypt. In the marketplace, I was sold as a servant to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar was a good man and he treated me well. And I served him faithfully and God blessed me and gave me wisdom. So much so that Potiphar was impressed that he gave me the highest position in his house. Now, I don't have to tell you, and the Bible even says it, that Joseph, me, was a handsome man and pleasing to look at. (laughs) Well, Potiphar's wife took notice. In fact, she came to me to seduce me one night. I said, no, I will never do this to my master. I will not do such an evil thing. And when I refused her, she was so upset, she accused me of rape. Potiphar had no choice. He had to kick me out of the house and send me to prison, and I was there for many years. But I did not forget God. And you know what? God did not forget me. He gave me wisdom. And the warden noticed that he put me in the highest place in all of the prison. And I even helped out my fellow inmates by interpreting dreams for them. But they were supposed to put in a good word for me so that I would get out. But when they were released, they forgot about me. Two years later, the pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had a dream so troubling, he sent for his sorcerers, for his magicians, and all of his priests, and they could not interpret his dream. And the one man I helped said, I remember when I was in prison, there was a man who had a gift from God to interpret dreams, and so they called for me. And God himself gave me the interpretation of the dream, and Pharaoh was so impressed that he put me in charge of all the agriculture in the land. We escaped the famine and we were saved. We had so much food in Egypt. The foreigners from faraway lands heard and they came to buy our food. Even my brothers in the old country, they came. And when they entered my presence, they fell on their faces before me, just as I had seen in my dream, but I did not hold it over them. I did not lord it over them. I was so happy to see them and I embraced them as my brothers and I sent for my father and all of my family and everybody came down to Egypt and when the Pharaoh heard, he was so happy. He said, Joseph, take the best land. In fact, take Goshen, the most fertile and fruitful region in the entire land. And it is there till this very day that we have lived. God has blessed me. He has blessed my family and he has blessed my people. Friends, it has been so nice talking to you, and I would love to stay and talk more, but as second in command of the entire land, I have many things I must attend to. So I will bless you and ask for the Almighty's blessing to be on your life. We will see you soon. Okay, seriously, this bucket is still here. You know, I wonder, what would happen if I just kicked the bucket? (coughs) Oh, boy. I'm so sorry about that. So, the book of Genesis (laughs) ends with the death of Joseph and everything is good. 
He can lay his head on his pillow at night knowing that his people are taken care of. His parents are cared for. They have the best in the land. He knows that when he dies, things will remain the same and things will be good. But that's not what happens. In Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, there's a, there's a chilling verse. It says that a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. So what happened? Just a few centuries before, Joseph is number two in all of the land of Egypt, and now the guy who's in charge doesn't even know who he is, never even heard of his name. A text I want to read to you comes from Genesis chapter 47, verses 5 and 6, and then we're going to give you some, some principles that I believe are going to help you on your journey in this life. Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you, and the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. Let them live in Goshen. And if you know of any among them with special ability, put them in charge of my own livestock. So the Pharaoh at the time had given them run of the place, rule of the place. And I can't imagine that the locals there were very happy about this. But if Pharaoh made the edict, then everybody would follow. But here we are, and we have this this plan for genocide. And as I, was, as I was preparing for this, I began to read over some, some of the history and learn some things about why they got to the place that they were. You know, for over 400 years, they lived in that isolated community. In that land of, of Goshen, they became complacent. They kept to themselves. They stuck to themselves. And they didn't contribute to the Egyptian economy. But they built their own community. And they began to rise in numbers. They began to rise in power. And some of the people became jealous. And then jealousy turned into greed. And greed turned into anger. And anger turned into hatred. And then that, that led to suspicion and mistrust. And ultimately, it led to prejudice. And finally, it landed at racism. And so the rulers who came to Pharaoh told them of this plan and they said, listen, they don't know it yet, but there's more of them than there are of us. And if they get their act together, they can take everything from us. We've got to do something. And so because the Pharaoh did not remember Joseph, because he wouldn't honor any pact that were, or agreement that was made before, he agreed to follow the sinister plan and to have all of the male children under two years old, killed and then thrown into the Nile River. Now, does that sound familiar in the New Testament? There was a deliverer who was sent by God, and he was called to be the king of the Jews. And the current king got jealous, and so he had all the children under the age of two to be slaughtered, all the males to be slaughtered. We see this constant parallel between the life of Moses and the life of Jesus. We even saw it in our Searching for Jesus series, where Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. You thought Moses' bread was good? Mine is better. And so we see this, and we're going to see this as we continue even through this series. Now, as I am reading a book by Chuck Swindle, and this is a quote that he had that I thought was very timely for what we're talking about today. He says that finally, after several centuries, because several centuries passed from Genesis 50 to Exodus 1, the name Joseph became virtually unknown. No one remembered the famine. No one recalled the golden oceans of stored grain, and no one recollected how a wise young Jewish prime minister had stepped out of obscurity to save the day. That was ancient history. It was irrelevant. And even the policy established between Joseph and some long-gone pharaoh 
completely and absolutely forgotten. Well, our text today is going to come out of the book of Hebrews, and we're going to kind of set up the series by looking back at how the early church viewed the life of Moses. And then next week, we're going to actually look at his life from the time he was placed in the water until he got to the land of Midian. So that's next Sunday. But Hebrews 11, 24 and 26 says that it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. And so many times it says, by faith, Moses did this. By faith, Moses did this. And then by faith, Moses did this. So the first point I want you guys to write down, either in your notes or in your apps, filling in the blanks, is this. That faith is a series of choices. Now, does anybody here believe that? (laughs) You see, God gives us a promise. And you know what we do often? We sit back and we wait for God to do it. Yes, God will give us a promise, but he partners with us. God often works with us to accomplish that goal to coming into place. Yes, Peter, you can walk on water, but guess what? You've got to get out of the boat. And you know what? You might fail sometimes. You might sink a little bit. The bottom of your pants might get a little bit wet, but you'll never accomplish anything if you don't try anything. And so one thing, the first thing we learn from the life of Moses is that faith is a series of choices. We've all built up Moses so much in our mind. We've all seen those epic scenes of him coming before Pharaoh and throwing down the staff and his snake eating the snakes of the others and he parts the Red Sea. And it's like, wow. But it wasn't always that way. You ask anybody who's anybody. They had to take a leap of faith. They had to do something that no one else dared to do. They had to do something that they could possibly fail at miserably, but they took that step of faith. And we're going to see this time and time again in the life of Moses. So here's the point, the first point, is you need to know who you are. You've got to settle your identity. You've got to understand who you are. Hebrews eleven twenty four says, it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Meaning he could have grown up As the son of Pharaoh's daughter, Moses had it made in Egypt. He was found by the daughter of Pharaoh. That means Pharaoh was his grandfather. What grandfather isn't going to spoil the snot out of their grandbabies? Any grandparents ever spoil their grandkids? Come on now. So he grows up with his grandfather as ruler of the land. And had he made that identification, he could have had it all. He had it for 40 years, but then he came to a place where he made a decision. In Exodus 2, it says that when he was a young boy, he was sent to the palace. But the Bible doesn't tell us how young or how old Moses was when he left his mom and dad and was taken back to the palace. Now, do you remember what happened at his birth? He was found, right, by Pharaoh's daughter, Well, she wasn't pregnant and didn't have a baby, so her body wasn't able to produce anything to feed the child. So Miriam, the older sister, is very smart, says, oh, would you like me to find you? 
some Jewish lady that I may or may not know to feed your baby? And she said, hey, that's a great idea. So she goes and gets Pharaoh's mother. Sorry, Moses' mother. And th- that would have been a different story. Okay. <laughs> think, think of that. Moses' mother is now being paid by the palace to nurse her own baby. See, God takes care of his kids. Now, when I look back at ancient Jewish literature, we're told that babies are weaned or children are weaned by the age of three. They nursed, they breastfed till the age of three, and then they were weaned off of that. So that means for about three years or so, Moses is living with his mom and dad in a little shack in the slums of Goshen. But I'm sure in those slums, in that home, at night as she was tucking him into bed, that she told him stories of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, and about the God of Israel, and that he had made a promise that one day he would take them from those slums and bring them to a great land. And so for those early formative years, Moses has that in the back of his mind. But from three to about 40, for the next 37 years now, he lives as a prince of Egypt. He's royalty. He gets the best education. And we're going to talk about that. God willing, Tuesday night... Uh, hopefully the storm that they're saying is coming is going to be too bad. If you don't get any announcements on social media, if you get no pushes in your app, assume the Bible study is on, okay? We're going to dive deeper into the education and background that Moses would have received when he was living in Egypt those 37 years. And so Moses embraced his identity. That's why on the day he was walking through the compound... Because where they were in Egypt was a massive compound. He lived over here in the palace. He wasn't with the Hebrew slaves. He didn't see what they were going through. But one day he decides to, stay, to take a stroll and, and he sees this one, this one servant, the slave, being beaten and mistreated. And he's, he's beaten harshly. And, and Moses sees something that's happening to one of his brothers. He makes a decision to identify at that point with his own Hebrew roots. He says, I'm not a son of Pharaoh. I know who my mom and my dad are, and I'm sick and tired of the treatment. And so he decides to act on it, and when he does, you know what happens. He kills the Egyptian, and then he moves on through the deserts to Midian. So we talk about embracing our roots, and we all have cultural roots. Some of us come from, you may have heard me say once or twice, but I have a Portuguese background. I can't remember. I, I may have said it. And then last week for Foods of the World, by the way, how awesome was that? <clears throat> we had uh, just about 1,600 people come out to Foods of the World. Absolutely amazing. And you may have seen me wearing my crazy costume. And you saw it on, on the screens today. If I'm Portuguese, then why did I wear <laughs> A Hebrew costume. Well, let me tell you a little story. Let me show you a picture here of my great-grandmother, whose name is Dorothy Gloria Vieira da Silva. And this is, yeah, we love to give our children insane amounts of names. Uh, I'm José Francisco da Silva Sulomelo Amaral. But you can call me Joe today, that's fine. Dorothy, my great-grandmother, why am I showing you a picture of her? In the 1500s, we had what was called the Spanish Inquisition. Do you guys remember that? An edict was given by the king and the queen to expel all the Jews from Spain. 
Now, many went east into Europe, but it was much closer and more feasible just to go one country over to the west, Portugal. And so Portugal was flooded with Jewish refugees from Spain who came from Israel originally. And some of them got on a boat from Portugal and went out to the islands where I grew up. Thank you. (laughs) And so even to this day, we're finding synagogues in Portugal that are hundreds of years old. And we're asking, why is there such a Jewish presence? Oh, yeah, the great expulsion of the Jews. And so when my dear great-grandmother passed away, they found a wooden box under her bed. And she had two items that were precious to her. She had her rosary, and she had her menorah. So on Friday nights, my Portuguese grandmother, who obviously came from and had Sephardic Jewish roots but didn't know it, on Friday nights, she would cover her face with a veil, just like Jewish people do on Friday nights. She would light two candles, just like you do at Shabbat on Friday nights. And then she would light her menorah and then pray the rosary. (laughs) You talk about a mix, but not knowing the culture, not knowing her roots. I said, oh, Lord, I would love to have kept that golden menorah from my great-grandmother. But we all have roots. And today, yes, there's a cool you know, story about my, about my roots you know, with my family, with Israel. But we want to move it to beyond ethnic identity today. And we need to move into a place of spiritual identity, which is our true identity. Because I'm going to make a startling statement. God doesn't like Portuguese people more than Jamaicans. <laughs> our ethnicity does not matter. It's our spiritual identity that we've got to get right today. We need to acknowledge who we are and what we are, or else we're never going to be able to move forward. There's a word that we don't like to use, not just in church, but in the world, and it's this that we are sinners. We must embrace our true spiritual identity. You and I, we are sinners. And if we acknowledge that, that means we are in need of a savior from that sin. And if you don't acknowledge the need and your true identity, then you're never going to be able to move forward. Because your identity dictates how you act and how you think. You see, if you're raised in a home where mom and dad were supportive and they said, you're a good good kid, Joe. When you grow up, you can be anything you want guess what? I'm going to be whatever I want because that's my identity. I believe that's who I am. But some people don't have that same advantage and they were maybe raised in a home where mom and dad wasn't there and if they were, it wasn't abusive or or, or just a a negative situation and a parent said words to you that scarred you for life and said, you're no good. You're never going to amount to anything. In fact, you were an accident who didn't even want you. Imagine what that does to a child. You know what they do? They live out that identity. And so we've got to settle who we are. We are sinners, but praise God, there is a Savior, and his name is Jesus. Amen? You know, we see in the life of Moses that God prepares and prepares him until he gets to that burning bush. Well, just like in our lives, God prepares us, he calls us, he draws us, he causes things to happen in our life, and it's all about us until we get to that point of conversion, until we get to that point where we find faith in Christ, he will move mountains, he will move heaven and earth in order for us to come into relationship with him. But once we get into that relationship with him, the focus now changes. It's no longer about us, but it's about God and his mission. 
It's about now what God wants to do with us and through us and for us. We even see this in the life of Jesus in in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 8. Now, I thought these were Filipinos the first time I read it. (laughs) Philippians. (laughs) Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. You see, he knew who he was. He knew his identity. But he chose not to use that for himself and for his own glory. But rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We need to understand who we are. And do you know who you are? A child of the king. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. You are a king's kid, and with that comes all the rights and privileges. Come on. You get to walk into his presence, and instead of calling him your honor, your majesty, you get to say, Daddy, Abba. One of my favorite memories of all the times I've been in Israel is on the Sabbath, on Saturdays, walking through the streets of Jerusalem. Hardly anybody drives. Everybody walks everywhere. And you see little kids chasing after daddy because they want to get something, and they're yelling, Abba, Abba. I thought everybody in Israel liked the band, Abba. I wasn't sure. (laughs) They're crying, Daddy. And we get to come into our Father's presence, and we get to cry, Abba. So know who you are. Secondly, you need to be who you are. That means you need to start living. You need to start acting like who you are. Once you know who you are, you need to start acting like it. Enjoy the privileges and the rights that come with that. Come on. Hebrews eleven twenty six. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. Once Moses settled that identity crisis, it was no longer about him. It was about what God had called him to be, who God had called him to be. Who has God called you to be? Now that you've settled that identity crisis, you know that you're a sinner who's been saved by grace. You know you are a child of the king. What is he calling you to do? What is he calling us to put aside aside for the sake of his kingdom? He settled who he was. He, He defended that Hebrew. He took down that Egyptian. He fled. He chose to do what was right instead of being popular or cool. You know what? Moses could have said, you know what? That's not my problem. And gone back to the palace and had people wave him with palm branches. That'll quickly help him forget what he just saw. But he doesn't do that, does he? Instead, because he knows who he is, he starts to act like who he is. He starts to defend his own. And once we understand who we are, we need to start acting on it. We need to do what's better for others, not necessarily what's better for us. There's a story of a a man named Oscar Schindler. Do you guys know that name? Many of you have probably seen the movie, Schindler's List. It's a very, very difficult movie to watch. But Oscar Schindler was a wealthy 
German businessman, born and raised in Germany. He was actually part of the Nazi party. He was worth millions of dollars in the 1940s. Today, that would be like being a billionaire. He could have turned a blind eye to what was happening. It would have been so much easier. But he saw the mistreatment of the Jews that were working in his factories. And every time the SS, they came to take the Jews, to put them on trains, to go to the concentration camps, what happened was Schindler would take his own money and begin to bribe the SS guards saying, leave my Jews alone. And to the point of bankruptcy, to the point where he forgot about his watch and he wept over his watch. He goes, this could have been another cart full that wouldn't go to the camps. You see, when you know who you are, you start acting like who you are. It's no longer just about you, but it's about others that God has placed in your life. On Tuesday night, I'm going to share a very, very personal story about my family and a direct connection to the Holocaust. When I read it, I wept. I couldn't believe that this was in my lineage. And God willing, I want to share that with you guys. So please, if you haven't come out, come on on a Tuesday night, and I think it's really going to be a blessing. And finally, in our moments together today, know who you are, be who you are, and now believe in whose you are. Believe in whose you are. Hebrews eleven twenty seven. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. When you know who you belong to, it gives you a boldness. It gives you a faith because you realize, I don't have to do this on my own. The invisible one, the God of creation is with me. When you know whose you are, friends, nothing is impossible. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, Because greater is he who is in you, come on, you, than he who is in the world. Say that with me. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Let's personalize that and say greater is he who is in me. Ready? Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Oh, my goodness. Guys, if God is for you, Who can be against you? No pharaoh, no king, no demon in hell, not even Satan himself. No one can be against you if he is for you. Man, I'm going to start preaching soon. Final point, Hebrews 11, 29. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, They were drowned. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea. How scary would that be? You know, we read it now, we're like, and Moses parted the waters and they walked through. Cool. Hang on a second. Put yourself in their shoes. There's a Red Sea in front of you. Pharaoh's army that changed their mind is behind you. That is not a good situation. And then Moses remembers what God told him. Use the staff that I've placed in your hand. Use what's in your hand, Moses. And he puts out that staff and the water parts. And by faith, man, they had to put that first foot out. Moses, you go first. I ain't going to, you go. If you live, we'll go. If not, Mazel tov. We're not doing it. By faith, 
Remember we said faith is a series of choices? Moses had to choose at every point to trust God. He wasn't born the redeemer of the Israelites. He was formed. He was shaped. But it took faith on his part. So what step of faith is God asking you to take today? So you will become the man or the woman that God has called you to be. Can you stand? And we're going to read one final verse together. And I'm going to ask the team if they would come. And we're going to close in a time of worship, thanking God for who he is. Next to John 3.16, I know it's an overplayed verse, but that's my favorite verse in the Bible. But God loved me. He knew I was a sinner, but he loved me too much to leave me that way. He sent his son to die for me, and I love that. But my second favorite verse is this, Joshua 1.5. And as we go through the life of Moses, over and over again, I want you to remember this verse because it becomes more epic the more we learn about Moses. Moses had just died, and God was now saying, it's you. You talk about big shoes to fill. Moses, and God says, now it's you, young man. And he says, let me encourage you, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. For as I was with Moses, whoa, do you know how God was with Moses? And he says, Joshua, don't you worry. As I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. These people might, these leaders might, but I, the God of Israel, will never leave you. I don't know about you, that's the best news I've heard today. Come on.